0: Good evening, this is Attorney Vince Davis and Attorney Raj Matani, and you are listening to Divorce and Family Law Talk radio show. The effects of divorce, especially when the divorce involves children, last far longer than the divorce process itself. The consequences of marital dissolution can affect all members of the family and can last a lifetime. You've got questions, we've got answers. Family Law Legal Experts will answer your questions about divorce, children, money, property, custody, spousal support, child support, and much more. Good evening, Raj. Are you with me? Hi, Vince. Can you hear me? I can hear you loud and clear. Great, great. Glad to be back. Raj, this week we're going to be talking about custody...
1: Yeah, um, we're going to be talking about some special steps that parents can take to help them in a modification or once there's a judgment entered, how they can keep track of their relationship so that in the event something ever goes wrong, you're always prepared and can um, present your case effectively to the court.
0: Very good. Raj, before we get into our whole talk about custody, I wanted to take a call tonight uh, because we okay. were off the air last week. So the first call I'm going to take is going to be from area code 805 with the telephone number ending in 39. Good evening. You're on with Divorce and Family Law Talk Radio Show. I yeah, hi, thank exactly. you. Good
2: evening. Yes. Th- yeah, thank you. How are Good you? evening to you. I'm fine, thanks. Um my question regards um, an inherited IRA account and what the question is is this is in a uh, family and the account has been uh, the beneficiary has been changed and everything is done uh, correctly and legally and all that but there are other members of this family that may want to contest that because the person that transferred or changed the beneficiary on their IRA account passed away soon after doing so. And so my question is, is that a contestable thing since the, the uh, the account is already in the new beneficiary's name.
0: Raj, did you follow that question? Uh,
2: I think I think I got around to some parts of it,
1: and specifically with related to family law, I want to ask our caller a couple questions, uh, mm-hmm. sir. Oh, I didn't catch your first name there.
2: Uh, John.
1: John. Okay. So, John, is this? IRA account or inheritance part of a divorce case or
2: paternity case in some way? No. It's part of a... um, uh, Did someone pass away
1: and you're working out the estate? Yes, exactly. Okay. Okay. So our show today is specifically focused on uh, family law and uh, those kinds of issues. And it's a little oh, okay. bit of a misnomer. That doesn't mean all issues related to a family. It means specifically divorce, custody, child support, things like that. Um, uh, we're oh, okay. you, And I can, give you, I can give you a very brief answer. Um, okay. What, what your issue revolves around is, um, is disputing a, a, a probate issue. Um, those are handled in a, in a separate court, and how a probate is executed, changed, or managed requires specific provisions and, um, and a whole different area of law. Uh, that's yeah. something we'd be ha- happy to help you out with. If you would like, give our office a call offline, and we can explore your issue a little bit further and, and make sure that you get the right advice.
2: Okay. Yeah, that sounds good. Okay.
0: Let me and give, so let me feel give free to
2: the, call our office.
0: Let me give you the telephone yeah. number to call. You can actually call right now. Our staff is will be here till 9 p.m. this this evening. You can call okay. 888-888-6582. That's
2: 888-888-6582. Okay, I'll give them a call.
0: Thank you for calling.
2: Okay, thank you.
0: Good night. Thank you. Good night. Okay, Raj, let's get back to custody.
2: <laughs> sure, sure. That's
1: I think that's a great way to way to come back after a week off. But um, so Vince, you know, I've been in court a lot recently, and you know, tr- we do appearances in in every different jurisdiction: San Bernardino, uh, Inland Empire, Orange County, and uh, you know, even here in LA and also San Diego. And you know, being in court all the time, you get to see every version of. Disputed facts, contested issues, and evolving relationships between uh, parties and, and their children. And what I've put together today is a sort of a short list of areas where parents want to be mindful about how their relationship evolves and how they can comport themselves so that uh, you know they act in their own best interest, the child's best interest, and if necessary. To present their case to the court again, the kinds of facts they need to have on their side.
0: Okay, what are what are some of these facts that they need to be watching out for?
1: Okay, so um, I want to start with sort of a, a guiding principle in, in family law. Uh, there are two things that parents always need to consider. The first of which is uh, the state of California's policy. It is the state of California's policy that Parents and children should have a frequent and continuing relationship with one another. Um, That means that whatever's going on between the parents, whatever fights or issues they may be having, the court is going to do everything they can to be child-focused and make sure that the children have as much time and can develop as deep of a bond as possible with both parents. The second thing is that also makes all decisions, and judges make all decisions based on what's in the best interest of the child. So what that means is, for all the parents out there, is that whatever your dispute may be with the other side, you cannot make decisions or take legal stances based out of your anger towards the other party, your bitterness about the divorce, or you know, whether they cheated on you or any of those kinds of things. All that the court cares about are what facts uh, allow for the child to have the uh, most well-adjusted and uh, simple life they can, regardless of whose parent they're with or where they might be staying. So, um, the fa- the factors I'm going to outline here uh, really take that into consideration, and uh, you know, parents when they're going through this process really should take those factors under control. So let's start with the first. One. Uh, the first one is. Uh, documenting your time with the children may sound silly but you know when you're with your child you want to be able to show the court all the all the kinds of things that you do and all the ways in which you spend time with your children so this came up for me recently in one case where uh, a father was trying to um, get additional time uh, with his child and he was on a, um, a monitored visitation and then uh, stepped up to unmonitor, but he had very limited time with his children and wanted to have the court say, hey, give me overnight, give me these kinds of things, or make some modification that allows me to spend more valuable time with my child. And what the court asked him was, well, what did you do? He says, well, I go to the park, I, I do all these kinds of things, I, we go to the zoo, but, you know, I, that's not a good enough time. And, uh, by documenting your time with your child and explaining the kinds of activities you do or how long it takes you to drive from A to B to go to these activities is a relevant fact to the court when you want to make a modification. So it's really critical that, you know, parents keep a journal or, um, you know, even in social media, just post, tag yourself. And it doesn't have to do with the intention of bringing it up in court, but, you know, you, you know sort of in the back of your head that you're making a record of, your time with your child and, you know, if you take a picture of them at the zoo, that they're happy and healthy. Um, these are all things that the court could look at when making a decision about changing custody or increasing time or decreasing time and, and both kinds of things. So uh, that's kind of the first thing people want to do. Has that uh, come up for you, Vince, or any special cases where documenting time with children has, has created an issue?
0: Well, I think it's always... Um a good idea to document, you know, get a calendar, um, keep track of, you know, when you are, if you're not the custodial parent to keep track of, uh, or even if you are the custodial parent to keep track of when a parent visits, um, how long make notes on how, you know, the visit went when people make telephone calls. And what I do with a lot of my clients, I encourage them to make Skype calls, uh, if they can't be there in person. So I always think keeping a calendar is a great idea. And it makes for great evidence whenever you go into court.
1: Yeah, that's uh, there. Yeah, there's two ways that this, this kind of comes up with the, with the court. I think that was a, a great talking point. Uh, one of the ways is to, you know, the olden ways is to keeping what's called a logbook. And what this does is you have a calendar in it, um, any special notes that relate to the children that need to be passed between the parents, for instance, extracurricular activities, changes in medication, things of that sort, you put this in this logbook and you can exchange it between the parents. And if need be, when you go into court, you can present that as evidence as, as to whether one person is being, um, you know, complying with the order, one person's not in compliance or doesn't take into consideration valuable information. Uh, there's sort of a new uh, digital way of recording this through two software programs. One is called All Family Wizard and the other one's called Talking Parents. Um, these are two programs that the court relies on heavily to be able to have access to communications between parents. And this avoids the tricky evidentiary problem of presenting text messages, voicemails, phone calls, things of that nature. Um, and. Talking Parents is actually free. It's a great program. I think they also have an app for it, Family Wizard. Uh, It's an online program. Parents can split the cost and uh, there's also an app for it. And you can just make a record of everything and it's presentable to the court and the judge can go look at it and see what messages have been posted, how often somebody looked at them, and whether or not people have been aware of, of the contentions of either side. So uh, documenting your time with your children is a is a big issue and sort of critical evidentiary portion
0: of any
1: motion to the court or any
0: request. And what are the websites for those uh, those services? Uh, it's
1: exactly like it sounds. It's uh, talkingparents.com, all one word obviously, and OurFamilyWizard.com.
0: What's the next step we should be concerned about about in trying to prevail in the custody or visitation case?
1: The next factor parents want to consider is the child's education.
0: Uh,
1: this is a, a sort of multi-layered issue that not only takes into consideration um, the school that the children go to, but how you're involved in the children's uh, schooling. So let's talk about the first issue about where the kids go to school. And this goes back to my original uh, overarching point of the best interest of the child. I have a case right now where um, it's in the Inland Empire. One parent lives in sort of the northern part of Fontana. The other parent lives in the um, San Bernardino-Rialto uh, border kind of area. Uh, currently, the child attends a school closer to mother's Rest. Uh, the father's side, we were we were in court on a... A series of different issues Uh, and we were actually in a chambers conference and trying to figure out what to do with our case. Um, The opposing side had requested that we change the school to a place in San Bernardino that's very highly ranked and uh, is a better school than the one that that mother goes to. Uh, Mother was objected to this and and, um, didn't think it was a a great choice because she has close proximity and very good reasoning as to why she should be there with the child. Uh, what the judge ended up saying was that because this school is in between the two parents, because it's a better-ranked school, that he would be inclined to grant a move for the child to come to that place, and, or go to that school, sorry. And where this is relevant to parents is, as your child gets older, you're going to confront a lot of these decisions as to the education of your child. Um, Pre-K education is important, elementary, uh, high school, all these, you know, extracurricular activities, all of these things. And at each point when these decisions come up, parents should consider what's in the best interest of the child. mom and dad, how it affects my time, but where can my child get the best education? And that's what the court's going to look at. And um, the court looks at drive time. They look at, uh, you know, activities that the school offers, all those kinds of things. And so parents need to realize that uh, the child's best interest comes first, And their education is given a very high priority Uh, so that addresses that part of the issue related to education is how their parents are involved in their children's uh you know schooling typically parents share joint legal custody what that means is each parent can is allowed to make decisions and participate in decisions about where the child goes to school what activities they're enrolled in and uh sort of the day-to-day process of their education, like their teachers. So what parents need to make sure is that they introduce themselves to the teachers, introduce yourself to the faculty, introduce yourself to administration, and let them know that, hey, you know, we are co-parenting this child. We have a court order. Give them a copy of the court order. We have a a court order explaining that this is supposed to be a relationship. These are my pickup days. These are her pickup days. And um, that really helps the school in communicating with both parents. The school will know to send documents to both addresses. They'll know to inform both parents. And if either parent is trying to exclude the other from the process, the school will be aware of it and can make sure that both parents are involved. So uh, parents always need to be mindful of their child's education, put their interests ahead of their own, and then make sure that they're heavily involved to the extent possible to make sure that they're involved in every step of their child's education. So um, it's a big issue, and, uh, you know, as education becomes more competitive, uh, parents really need to be aware of what can they do to give their child the best foundation for the rest of their lives. And the court looks at that too, and so it's a big big factor in co-parenting.
0: So we have the calendar, we have education. What's the next factor that you like to look at?
2: Um, it's
1: Also, taking an interest in your um, child's activities—you um, know—you want to take the time to to figure out what interests your child, what keeps them active, uh, you know, what makes them uh, develop as a young person. Um, you know, in our hectic lives, it's so easy to sort of put a kid in front of an iPad and, and, and or put them in front of some device and um, sort of take a backseat to to all of these these issues. But this is really relevant to the court because you want to be able to advocate for your child. You want to be able to to tell the court that, you know, the other parent's not enrolling them in activities. The other parent is, um, you know, not taking an interest as to whether they need tutoring or additional help or other enriching uh, sort of activities that help a child develop. So parents, you really want to take an interest in what your kid's doing. Be mindful, keep track of their progress, uh, keep track of changes in behavior. Those kinds of things that would clue you into uh, maybe how to modify their behavior, improve their behavior, or even, um, you know, if things are really uh, going poorly, uh, advocate to the court to give you more say so that the parent who's realizing these things can, can make the court aware and, and can, can change uh, the custody arrangement.
0: Okay, Raj. Before we go any further, I want to take time out here and I want to take another call. It's a call from Harry Code five ten ending in seven zero. Good evening. You're on with attorneys Vince Davis and Raj Matani. Oh
3: hi, so happy to um hear your show. Uh so How I am can- um, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Oh, okay. So um, I've been married about four years, and in the last um, year, things went south, um, and uh, we moved from California to another state, uh, clear across the country. And, you know, we have three years of marriage in California, one year of marriage in the other state. He's still there. I'm back in California, but I received... um, Something from his attorney, a summons and uh, some kind of affidavit. Um, there's some kind of Byzantine law there that you cannot file for divorce unless you're separated for one year. So um, they sent me this document, and I, I'm just wondering if that court even has jurisdiction. Um, I don't, I mean, I'll grant a divorce, I'll go through that and everything, but. Uh, I don't know that I want to fight a divorce from California when we lived here most of the time. Like, do you have any thoughts on that?
0: Go ahead, Raj. See if you can take that one. (laughs) Sure. Um,
1: So, Ma'am, when did you move back to the state of California?
3: In December of 2015, last December. December.
1: Okay. And uh, let me see if I have this
3: sequence of events
1: right. You guys were married in California, were here for about three years and then moved to another state, and now you're back.
3: And now I'm back, and he's still in the other state. We we um owned the Do you mind disclosing what state that is? What's that? The state? Yeah, it's you, North Carolina. I that. <laughs> um
1: Okay, so uh he filed for divorce in North Carolina?
3: Well, he, you know, he says he um he says he wasn't happy. Um uh-huh. he's he's there. He sent me a, a Dear John letter. Like uh-huh. I was in California when I received the letter saying he wanted to div you know, to end it. But there's a law there that says you, you cannot file for a divorce unless you've been separated for at least one year. Okay. So it hasn't been a year yet. So um so he you're,
1: he hasn't filed anything in North Carolina, but he's acknowledged to you that he wants to he wants to get divorced.
3: He did file something. He he sent a letter saying that he wanted to end it. He sent that back in December, and then okay. um, last month I received this April 2016. I received a summons and an affidavit okay. from okay. North Carolina, okay, saying he wants uh, to be relieved of his marital duties or something like that. <laughs> and he wants so, this at every, in the affidavit to be uh, incorporated when he does file for divorce. Okay.
1: So let me start off with a small disclaimer. I, you know, Myself nor any attorney here is licensed to practice law in North Carolina, so you would have to verify whatever I'm about to tell you with somebody over there. But he probably has met some sort of residency requirement in North Carolina and has filed for the action there. Um, by the same token, you've qualified for residency requirements in California for you to also file here. Um, So the decision that you're kind of going to have to make is, do you want to litigate the case in North Carolina, which you can do. You can file things from far away and um, and hire a local guy or um, send the documents by mail or by fax to the state. Uh, You can litigate that case, but you'd be equally entitled to
2: um,
1: file a case in California And then you can have a jurisdiction battle as to whether um, California or North Carolina are are the appropriate state. But, um, you know, I would verify all of this with a North Carolina lawyer and find out exactly what your options are. But um, if you want to get divorced, then um, you can sort of go forward with that and and just participate in the North Carolina process.
3: Okay, that's an interesting point you make because – um, since he's the one who's filing for divorce, like he's like he's made the move first. Yeah. He's saying he wants a divorce from me. Um yeah. Of course, I don't want to be with someone who doesn't want to be with me, so I don't need to fight him on that. But I'm not going to go seek a divorce myself. Does that uh, make right. sense no, to you? Yeah. Those those are your choices. You know, there are people okay. who
1: separate for long periods of time and never get legally divorced. Um, and there's no. Uh, barrier in the law to doing that. That's just a personal choice that some people make. Now, he's taken an assertive step to formally ending the legal recognition of your marriage. Um, and so, you know, now is your obligation to either
3: participate
1: or not participate. Let me ask you, what kind of, do you guys have any significant assets? Houses, cars, bank accounts, yes. things like that? Yeah. Yes, we so have some
3: significant assets from the house, mostly. And we're house state. located it was located well here gone. in California. We sold it and then moved to North Carolina. So the assets have really been liquidated into, okay. um, you know, savings and so okay. forth. Okay. So
1: th- there, there, would be some, there would be some dispute maybe over who, who gets how much of those funds and what they've been used for. So here's what I would recommend. Why don't you give us a call offline uh, at the end of our show today Uh, set up an appointment, and we can go over your case with you a little bit. Um, But I would also encourage you to um, maybe find a lawyer in North Carolina. We know some people we could refer you to and
0: uh, and see if we can help you out.
3: That'd be great. great. So I'll call the same number after the show?
0: No, if if you have a pen and a piece of paper, I'll give you a number to call, and you can call right now and make an appointment. Let me know when you're ready.
3: I'm ready.
0: (laughs) I'm ready. <laughs> Triple Okay. Triple Eight Triple Eight Six Five Eight Two. That's eight 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 six five eight two.
3: Got it. Thank you. Thank you Thank so you much for much it. Okay. Bye bye.
0: Bye. So Raj, we were talking about custody and visitation, and the last thing we were talking about was
1: uh, we were talking about making sure that parents take a big interest in their children's um, social activities and after-school activities, so they can get a good assessment of how the children are adjusting to to the custody arrangement.
3: So
2: we can that. Oh. Okay, sure. go ahead.
0: No, sure. Uh, and, and what's the? What, what do you think would be your next issue?
1: Okay, so the next issue is. Is for parents to be mindful of still being a good parent throughout the process. Um, you know, like I said, the overarching idea here is the it's the best interest of the children. So, um, you parents need to be really focused on releasing the tensions that they have to the other party, and focus on being a a, a parent throughout the divorce. And so this means sort of whatever personal drama you're going through or things like that, to make sure every decision is focused around what's in the best interest of the child. And I'll give you, I'll give you an example of, of a case that I saw today in, uh, in the local courthouse while I was waiting to do to, uh, a, a case with our client. Facts of sure. the, the case were, um, uh, you know, father and mother had, had divorced. Uh, father, through the stress of the divorce, um, had developed, unfortunately, uh, a bit of a drinking problem, and has um, and has had, I think, multiple DUIs. I think two, um, within the past maybe year or two years, um, to the point where he has the uh, ignition interlock device in his car, has to do breathalyzers, um, is enrolled in um, sobriety programs as a part of his criminal case, all these other kinds of things. <clears throat> the mother was aware that the father was, you know, he was quite a heavy drinker when they were, when they were together, they got married and then decided to have, and um, now mother is, was asking that father be deprived of significant amounts of, of custodial time because she's afraid for how he might act around the child and if he might get drunk around it. And, you know, this is where I'm saying that parents still need to put, they need to put aside their feelings towards the other party and their own a personal demons for the mother, she has to put aside her anger and hostility about the father's bad choices Now she can continue to bring them up, but at a certain point, the court is going to allow the father to repair his image, and mother's going to have to let go of it um, for the father he has to um, let go or he has to realize that he made a poor choice in um, you know letting the stress of the divorce impact him to the point where he got a DUI. And the court was, court was aware of this. They, they understood that, hey, father made a bad choice, but they're not going to hold that against him for, you know, the 18 years. The child is three years old that they were talking about. He's not, the court's not going to hold that against father for the rest of the child's relationship. So, you know, from the minute they separate until the child is 18, have to remember to continue to be a good parent, and being a good parent is putting the interest of your child before your own, and uh, making sure that uh, you don't let the stress of the divorce or your feelings about the other party override um, what's in the best interest of the child. So if at any point when parents are conflicted about what to do or or how to react to a certain situation, they really need to take into account, you know, uh, the court today used a really good phrase. They used the phrase child-focused and not self-focused. Every document that you write pleading to the court, decision, or, or communication between the parents always needs to be child-focused. And when you make decisions from that perspective, um, you carry a lot of favor with the court, and it will probably actually prevent you from coming back to court because the discord between the parents is reduced when every interest is genuinely in the best interest of the child and not based on, um, you know, some other kind of feeling that leads one to believe that they're acting in the best interest of the child when they're really sort of covering their own feelings or situations or, or uh, desires. So uh, parents need to be really mindful of continuing to be a good parent, continuing to, to set an example for their children, and making sure that everything that they do is in the best interest of the child.
0: Best interest under California law is the sin qua non of uh, our custody uh, system. Would you agree?
1: Yeah. It, you know, it's one of these uh, phrases that are often bantied about and, and talked about in the courts. And uh, there's not really a hard definition as to what that means. You know, for every situation there's a, there's a case that aligns with each side's position and, um, Family law courts are a court of equity. They're not courts of impunity. They're not there to punish people. They are there to guide parents in this sort of difficult scenario of raising children when you're not together. And, um, you know, you're right. Best interest is this this very broad term, and nobody really knows what it is, but I would argue that common sense, which is not always so common, but common sense and, um, you know, sort of, obvious gut instincts about what's probably the right decision, um, you know, will
0: usually lead you down the best path. Right. Well, you know, in fact, Raj, in California, the best interest of the child uh, is not defined anywhere in the family code. However, However, in family code section 3011, 3011, Uh, the state of California and its legislature has set forth specific things that the court must consider when making orders or decisions about child custody. Uh, The the general thing um, that the courts must uh, consider are the health, safety, and welfare of the child, spousal or child abuse, Number three, the nature and amount of contact with the parents. And four, the habitual or continual use of illegal drugs or habitual or continual abuse of alcohol or prescribed controlled substances. And, of course, any other factors that the court finds relevant. So those are the big four. One of the the first things the court has to consider is is there an agreement or has there been an agreement between the parties? And in a lot of situations, there is an agreement. Uh, and someone goes to court and they want to change that agreement for various reasons, both you know, good-spirited and some mean-spirited reasons uh, to change uh, custody and visitation. Have you come across any of that?
1: Uh, yeah, I mean, I, 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 I come across it all the time. And so, when there's previously an agreement, what has to be shown when you come back into the court, depending on whether you're uh, pre judgment or post judgment, you would have to court what's different since the time that we made this agreement until now, and why is the change that you're requesting good for the child in their best interest? So, um, what, you know, that happened today also, Um, A one party had filed, uh, they had reached a a judgment, I believe in February of this year, and uh, father came into court looking to add additional custody time. And uh, the judge looks at him and says, "What's, what's different? And father says, oh, I just wanted more time. He says, well, you agreed to this scenario a few months ago. And you can't just come back into court because you want something. Something has to be different. Something has, some new fact has to be there. And it, it doesn't have to necessarily be a big fact. It, it could be the, a change in your work schedule or you've moved closer. It could be a very small thing. But, you know, what is significantly different since the time you got, the parties were back in court, made an agreement or executed a judgment, and why are those things good for the child to change their schedule, you know, the reason the legislature made those part factors as part of the decision for judges is that children don't typically, especially young ones, don't typically respond well to upheaval, change, constant, constant change, whims of the parents. And this goes back to our, our, my statement being child-focused. So, you know, parents can't come in just because on a whim they feel like they deserve something. Every decision has to revolve around those factors that you described in health, safety, welfare of the child, you know, parents' behavior, substance abuse, and what puts them in a permanent, safe, stable, and loving environment. So um, at every point, parents have to be mindful of those things.
0: You know, Raj, the second thing that the court has to consider is abuse, abuse of a child, a spouse, or a cohabitant. Um, mm-hmm. And I think it's the second enumerated statutory factor that a court must consider is any history of abuse by a parent against any of the following people, any child to whom he or she is related by blood affinity or by a caretaking relationship, no matter how temporary, um, abuse on the other parent or abuse by a parent on a spouse or cohabitant of the person seeking custody or anyone whom the parent or person is dating or engaged to? Have you had any cases where um, involving custody and visitation where there has been issues of child abuse or spousal abuse or abuse of of the new girlfriend? Um, Yeah, actually,
1: you know, that we have We have a a case now, um, and actually our firm deals with this, and and maybe you can speak more to this, uh, and we've covered this topic, I think, on a previous show, is that um, there's a little bit of a crossover between juvenile dependency law and family law, and what happens in the juvenile courts, uh, which is your specialty, Vince, but what happens in the juvenile courts is that, you know, a child may be detained for abuse or neglect or something to that effect and then the parents go through this whole process in the juvenile court. And the way that's resolved is with the family law exit order. And then that comes sort of into my jurisdiction where we get into the family law courts and the court and the family law court when when another parent wants to make a modification to the exit order, they're going to look back at that dependency proceeding and the facts and, and the result of it. And take that into consideration. So um, you know I sort of see it frequently where uh, one parent has alleged abuse, or some abuse has happened, or um, some neglect has happened, and the court seriously, seriously considers that. And if it, especially if it's proven, or some uh, allegation is sustained, that goes, that goes a very, very long way. Um, I had a case like that just yesterday. Luckily, we were able to settle it. But um, you know, there was an allegation of of child abuse. By uh, the stepfather's son to um, our client's daughter, and um, it was a heavy, heavy, heavy allegation. Luckily, it turned out not to be true, but you know just that cloud over the whole case um, you know painted our client in a very negative negative light. Luckily, we were able to get past it, but
0: it's a serious, serious factor in these cases in fact, you know Raj, when there is a finding of uh Domestic violence on a child or a uh, spouse or a new spouse or new girlfriend, there is a presumption against the perpetrator of that abuse. Tell us a little bit about that presumption
1: well that, the the presumption, the presumption is that you know uh, that parent is person is sort of excluded is excluded from the relationship um, You know, uh, anytime an allegation is sustained, uh, it weighs very negatively on that person, and it weighs negatively on the person uh, to whom sort of allowed it to happen. So if you're in a dating relationship and your spouse is the one who who perpetrates or, or one of the direct parents perpetrates it, there's a strong presumption that they should be denied of all custody, that they should not be granted any physical or legal custody, and um, the court would grant, you know, all those rights and privileges uh, to the other party. So um, if, there, if that situation ever arises, it creates uh, several problems for the litigant and, and a big uphill battle to sort of change the status quo.
0: You know, um, domestic violence, for purposes of this discussion, um, is specifically defined in, I think, Family Code Section 3044. And it's defined uh, somewhere along these lines, where there is intentional or reckless injury caused or attempted to be caused uh, bodily injury or sexual assault upon a person, or a situation where a person has been placed in reasonable apprehension of imminent serious bodily injury. Or there is uh, behavior involving, um, to, but not limited to, threatening, striking, harassing, de- destroying personal property, or uh, disturbing the peace of another. So I mentioned that only to let our listeners know that, um, you know, domestic violence doesn't mean physical contact. It could be verbal threats and courts today consider that to be, you know, domestic violence. So if you're involved in a a relationship where there is, are there threatening or harassing conduct by one spouse against the other, that's considered domestic violence under the family code, and that could give you um, a leg up in the custody or visitation uh, battle uh, between the two parents. That's
1: true, and what's actually interesting is, sort of the law is trying to catch up and evolve with technology and um, there have been cases where um, all of the threatening messages or all of the negative commentary was always through text message or on social media and things like that and there have been cases where uh, you know, abuse has been found um, by those means. So uh, abuse no longer means just physical violence. It can mean verbal and mental abuse and it can be perpetrated in Every imaginable way, Um, and, you know, if you can find it online or if you can find a text message, voicemail, things like that, it's um, it's strong evidence sometimes to, to prove up your case.
0: You know, something I came across not too long ago was the issue of false allegations of abuse. And in this particular case, it was false allegations of child abuse made by one parent or against the other. And in California, um, there is a family code section that deals specifically with this particular area. And I believe it's family code section 3027.5B. Um, and suffice it to say that the law does not look kindly upon those who make false allegations of abuse, uh, child abuse in this case, and, of course, domestic violence. Um, I get... Or I see a lot of cases where uh, one spouse makes an allegation against the other spouse regarding child abuse or domestic violence that is not true, just in order to gain the upper hand in the domestic excuse me in the child custody or child visitation case. Have you come across those situations?
1: Yeah, I mean, this, uh, I think I was just explaining a situation where we where we had that we had that case where opposing party father had had lobbed this allegation that, um, you know, our client's uh, basically soon-to-be stepchild had, had perpetrated some abuse, and, and, and because of it, he was withholding the party's biological child um, based on this allegation. We went through multiple hearings, um, had experts, and all these kinds of things, and, you know, at the end, it, it sort of turned out inconclusive. But um, And we didn't end up litigating the issue, I think, out of protection for all parties involved, but directly firsthand how it impacts the parties as to one parent sort of lobbying what may or may not be a truthful allegation um, in an effort to win custody. And, you know, parents, it happens all the time. They feel like one parent's neglecting the other child or, or doing something to affect them, and, you know, these kinds of allegations are taken very seriously by the court. Um, we had several evaluations done. We, uh, you know, had several experts, you know, uh, look at the child or, or review their allegations. And uh, like you said, there's a strong presumption against a party who's found to have perpetrated this. And then there's even sort of more adversarial negative effects for a party who's found to have fabricated uh, these allegations. Um, the courts don't look kindly on abuse in any form, and um, it's something that. Uh, a good attorney can can help guide litigants in in executing every remedy under
0: the law. Well, you know, the next thing I want to do is talk about on the custody and visitation issue. Is the issue of abuse of alcohol or abuse of controlled substances. For whatever sure. reason, i I'm seeing that more and more, and I don't know if it's a reflection of society or just society becoming better better educated about these issues. But I'm seeing a lot more and more of it. What about you?
1: Yeah, I'm seeing a lot more and more of it. And it's not always the traditional uh, sort of tenets of, of abuse. You know, people think about just alcohol or just maybe marijuana, something like that. But there's actually an increasing epidemic of, uh, opioid uh, prescription abuse, and uh, tangentially or, or correlated to that is uh, heroin abuse. Uh, sometimes when people get an opioid addiction, it it uh, exacerbates into a, a heroin problem, unfortunately. And I've been seeing it hasn't a- affected any of our clients um, on either side. But um, you know when I'm in court, which is almost daily. I'm seeing more and more of it um, litigated and brought out as a fact pattern that one parent or the other has either abused the substance, used it inappropriately, or um, has a history of using it, and um, it's a big factor that the court considers. Now, I will also remind, remind litigants that despite the gravity of that concern, there's there's no order that 100% protects parties. Um, That was the case today. You know, the judge was conflicted that he he said he wished he could make a 100% safe order but that in all of his lengthy experience, there's no such thing. And all that the judge can do and the parties can do is create as many protections as possible and then hope for the best. So, um, it's a growing problem. It's something that the courts are continuing to address and it's something that parties are going to have to consider when, um, you know, going through litigation how they can attack that issue and make sure that, um, you know, when they're making custody arrangements or things of that nature that, you know, the child is the one who is the most
0: protected out of all. Right. You know, under uh, Family Code section, I think it's 3041.5, a trial court can order drug or alcohol testing if it determines by a preponderance of evidence that, uh, you know, one of the parents engages in habitual, frequent, or continual yeah. use of substances. Um, yeah. have you been involved in any cases, uh, where we've had that issue coming up?
1: Yeah. I, um, I did a case in the Inland Empire where, uh, there was an allegation that, I, that our client, um, was a, uh, drug abuser and uh it, it's not it's not a very high burden and uh, i mean for the factors of our our client she had i think an arrest or a conviction for for possession but uh, and it was several years ago but um the court still found that to be a verifiable thing that the thing and in fact our client was ordered to go across the street and submit to a test the day of the hearing so uh, uh and the key thing about that is even even if a court just doesn't show up for a test, it's considered a positive result so um, you know the court anytime there's an indica of abuse or problems or um, things of that nature uh, you know they're very quick to to order testing uh, and I think the reason for that is um, the courts want to uh, you know, protect the child and it's not a terrible burden for a party who's not abusing any substances to go and subject themselves to a test no matter what the cost um, to prove their point. So um, I've seen it both ways where the court orders testing and what's happening more and more is that uh, clients are seeing that this is an issue for judges and they voluntarily um, submit themselves to a test to prove to the judge that they're they're clean and sober. So um, the court orders them, people subject to them and it's
0: becoming an increasing issue in a lot of cases. You know, Raj, one of the things I think a lot of people don't know and I come across this with a lot of attorneys, um, you know, a lot of opposing attorneys. You know, when the when the when the judge orders testing, that testing has to be performed in conformance with certain policies and procedures and standards. And those standards and procedures are uh, standards and procedures uh, established by the United States Department of Health and Human Services for drug testing of uh, its own federal employees. And I believe that this is mentioned and covered in Family Code Section um, 3041.5. And under those standards uh, and procedures, currently only – urine testing is permitted under these standards yeah. and, and the court cannot order a hair follicle test or a blood test. Right. Did you, um, were you aware I, of those standards?
3: I, I was aware of those
1: standards. Uh, I, I don't, I would have to check the case on it and I don't know if this has been amended uh, recently, but, um, uh, the courts, when there's a really order, the hair follicle test, and I think you're right, a lot of attorneys don't know that it's not, um, that you can object to that, that you can only really do a urine test. Um, they have what's now called a, a five-panel test and a hair follicle test where, you know, if one party is, is known to how to skirt the system or 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 uh, beat the drug test, that they can order the hair follicle test as well. Um, what I'm finding a lot of times is that uh, the court will say on the record that, you know, a hair follicle test would be appreciated or would go a long way towards proving one next point, and that the um, uh, party who's accused of having the problem willingly submits the test. So uh, while there may be some protections for the party to submitting to the hair follicle test, uh, I would actually encourage clients to take it because it's the most exhaustive test and, um, you know, can prove either your sobriety or um, abuse, regardless, you know, to the fullest
0: extent possible. It's a, it's
1: a choice that every client has to make.
0: Right. Raj, did you know that uh, if you have a positive test as a parent under the federal standards that you are entitled to have a, uh, a hearing to, t- uh, to challenge those positive test results?
1: I know it now.
0: <laughs> have you ever seen that in the in family court?
1: They, you know, here's the interesting thing about family courts. I haven't seen it as a simple answer. But the interesting thing is that um, it's a it's a small percentage of cases that really get that far, where um, clients have the money to contest each and every one of those issues, and where you know the issue of abuse is, or sorry substance abuse is so significant that it requires uh, sort of all of these challenges. So um, it's the rare instance when it happens, and I, I haven't seen it yet, um, but I'm sure, I'm sure by the time uh, my career is over, I'll have dealt with it sec- several times.
0: And here's another little tidbit. Under the same statute, um, Family Code Section 3041.5, testing results are confidential and they are supposed to be sealed any party that violates the confidentiality is subject to monetary sanctions so a little tidbit for our listeners to consider uh, if they're ever faced you know being involved with drug testing uh, or challenging drug testing in a custody or visitation case Hey, Raj, we are running out of time uh, for this week. And before we go, because I've gotten – I meant to mention this to you. I've gotten several calls on the mediation process that we've started uh, offering to clients as a service, uh, mediation and family law pieces. Could you tell our listeners again exactly what services we do?
1: Yeah, um, we are now offering the service. What, what mediated divorce is it allows parties to sort of go through the divorce process and eliminate the stress, headache, and financial
0: burden that
1: is the court process. So what we do is our an attorney here acts as a neutral, brings both parties in, we help you from A to Z draft the initial paperwork, present all the disclosures, go through what are the contested issues, and help parties reach a resolution. Um, being that we are in court every day, we're litigation attorneys, we know how the court will handle these issues, and we can express to the parties what the law is and how they would be handled, and it can help the parties negotiate that, those contested parts. Um, we do this for, what's great about it is we do this for a flat seat. Uh, it includes, you know, your ability to communicate with your attorney, presentation of documents, drafting papers, um, meetings in the office, um, all of those things that you normally would pay an attorney for each six-minute increment um, that uh, the attorney works on your case. You do this all for a set fee, and it, uh, it takes you from filing the documentation to judgment, and, um, you know, thankfully, in the event that you guys can, the parties cannot agree or are unable to reach a settlement, you can still go to court, you can still litigate issues. The only um, caveat is that the mediator from our office cannot act as an attorney for both sides because we've been privy to too much information. So clients can come in, you mediate the divorce in our lovely offices here in Arcadia, or we can set up an alternative place that's convenient to the parties, and uh, you know, we can help you complete your case uh, in a cost-controlled, uh, temperament-controlled environment. And, uh, you know, I, it's one of the things that I, I've been offering for a long time, and I'm, I'm happy to bring it to our offices. And uh, I'm really looking forward to to guiding, uh, you know, parties through this process.
0: Thank you, Raj, for that explanation. Raj, next week I want to continue this uh, conversation about child custody and visitation because it's such a huge part of family law, uh, here in California. Next week, let's do this. Let's talk about, uh, custody mediation, custody evaluations, appointment of attorneys for the children and the use or possible use of psychologists, and other experts in a child custody case. Those are four big topics. Four big topics we could talk hours on each, but we'll touch upon them next week for about 10 to 15 minutes apiece so that we can give our listeners, um, you know, at least identify the issues out there. A lot of people involved in custody and visitation disputes today don't realize that the importance of and strategizing for the custody mediation, preparing for and strategizing for the custody evaluation, Um, you know, and then there's that whole issue about the appointment of a minors counsel and, you know, what in the world is that all about? And, uh, (laughs) of course... Uh, the use of a psychologist and other experts. Um, sometimes the use of psychologists and other experts can give you a big advantage in a custody and visitation case. So, Raj, we're going to talk about those issues next week. And for our listeners, uh, thank you this evening for listening into our show, and we will see you next week on uh, Divorce and Family Law Talk Radio Show.